So uh, it's good to have Casey back. Casey's been uh, coaching some soccers and some things. So good to have you back on stage, man. I, I'm excited about it. And uh, <clears throat> speaking of people, um, special, special guests, my, uh, my mama is here. Um, that's, that's my mom. Mom's here. So I uh, can't tell any stories about mom because she's here. Um, just kidding. We all love you, mama, including me. All right. Um, <laughs> I don't know about you. Do you remember being like an eight-year-old and uh, riding around with your parents? Maybe, maybe you're just not as like, cocky as I was when I was an eight-year-old, but um, as we've firmly established, I was a cocky little kid. Uh, so do you, do you remember being eight and just like being completely confident that you could drive? Like, I mean, you're riding around with your, your parents on like road trips or whatever, and you're like, I could totally do this. I mean, like, I get it. Like, right foot, you push this one thing, and you go, and you just turn that little wheel, and then you push the other pedal, and you stop, right? And if your parents were driving, like, a, like a, a stick shift, maybe you weren't so confident. But, but I mean, I'm an eight-year-old, and in my head, I just thought uh, that I was going to be, like, a, like an absolute, I mean, I'm just, I'm a solid race car driver right now. I can, if I want to hit a 180 in the middle of the street, I could do that. You know, you just, mama, what you need to do, you just need to hit the brake and turn the wheel real fast. And it's going to be just like a shopping cart. It's just, just the way it is. That's the way I, that's the way I thought about, the way I thought about that. And that's, that was my expectation that when I was, when I was eight, then I was fully capable of driving and there would be no uh, repercussions or bad things that would possibly come without because I'm a pretty talented eight year old, you know, uh, it's just nothing to worry about, nothing to worry about. This is what happens when eight-year-olds drive cars. Oh, we got Spotify playing in the background. Hang on, we'll get it. When I came through the back door, I looked on the counter, my keys were gone. I took my grandma car because I got mad at my mom, and then I suddenly had my friend come in, and he smoked with cigarettes. He started the vehicle and put it into gear. So I yanked the, I yanked it, I yanked the um thing. And off they went. Two seven-year-olds alone on the road. Latarian drove several miles through Lake Park in Palm Beach Gardens. We got the one call that I told you about of a driver in the vehicle who looked too short to be able to see over the steering wheel. Along the way, he ran over two mailboxes, hit two parked cars in a Costco parking lot, and struck two moving cars near Walmart. I want to do it because it's fun. It's fun to do bad things, to drive into a car. But did you know that you could perhaps kill somebody? Yes, but I wanted to do hood stuff for my friend. It all ended on investment lane and consumer drive. That's where Latarian hit the curb and sideswiped the sign. The SUV took most of the beating, snapping off one of his axles and wheels. A grandmother's rage. I want to whip his behind. That's what I want to do right now. If I thought they wouldn't take me to jail, I'd whip his behind right now. You don't think he should be punished for all of this? Just a little bit. No video games for a whole weekend. And one unusual story for police. You, are you sorry? Yes. You understand that now your grandma's going to have to pay to have those cars fixed because yes. you hit those cars. Can my mom help her? <laughs> Can my mom help her? Uh, I don't know if you heard what he said. He said uh, that he, want, he, he understood that uh, it's probably the best idea, but he wanted to do hood rat stuff with his friends. Um, so what? Uh, sometimes I think when, when you're a little kid, you think that driving is going to be a whole lot like Mario Kart. And then if you were to actually get the keys and be behind a wheel, then you're going to hit two mailboxes, three parked cars, two moving vehicles, and snap the wheel off your grandma's car, and she's going to whip you behind. <laughs> All right, that's how that's actually going to go down. 
In reality, we think that, that we've, we've kind of got it. I mean, I, at least I did when I was a little kid. I thought that I had all the skills and it was not going to be that bad. And, and surely, I mean, I'm not going to do this until I would actually get out there and then it would not have ended well. So we understand that when we're going to drive, that we're, we, there's some practice that we've got to go through. There's a licensing process and like fees and stuff that you've got to pay. You've got to drive around with somebody and get some practice where they can like stomp on the brake for you if you're about to run in front of a bus or a whole bunch of other stuff in a parking lot of a mall, right? My parents taught me to drive in a graveyard because everyone's already dead, right? <laughs> like that's where I learned to drive. That's where everyone should learn to drive. You can't do anything. I mean, it's, the worst is going to happen is you're going to get some grass on the tires. And so there's some preparation that you understand that you've got to go through to be able to drive. Now think about, think about the amount of preparation that most people put in before they begin to date. Absolutely none. Like none. The first person who likes you, now it's time to date. Preparation over. Like something like something is like fairy dust magic happened in you, and like now all of a sudden you're able to be in a like a mature romantic entanglement with some other person, and like you're somehow prepared because all of a sudden you're like 14 and that's old enough now. Like my, even, even if it's like my parents told me I can't date till I'm 16. See, there's no preparation that goes in, but the moment you turn 16, it's just now you're fully prepared. Your parents don't let you go take driving tests without ever driving a car before. There's preparation that has to go into it. And so what I want us to think about is the kind of things that need to be in place, the kind of ways that we probably should prepare before we go try to um, connect ourselves to another person. Because I want you to know that um, uh, you may not run into some mailboxes or whatever in a day, but there's, there's some dangers. There's some, uh, there's some crashes you can run into in a dating relationship that you're all familiar with. You've seen people that kind of, uh, that, that just kind of throw themselves into relationships. And don't really prepare, don't really think it through, and it doesn't really matter. There's no, really, there's no, no prep, there's no uh, parameters to it. They just throw themselves into these relationships, and it just ends badly time and time again. So for this week and the two weeks that are going to follow, what we're going to do, we're going to look into God's word and look at some things that need to be in place in your life before you're ready to date. Even if you're already dating. All right. So we're going to look at some ways that you need to be preparing, some things that need to be in place in your life before you date anybody. All right. We'll do three weeks of that. The first, the first thing, the, the thing we're focusing on tonight is that before you date, write this down. I'll stop. I'll, I'll just have filler time. Get your phone out. Write something down. All right, you're going to copy it from your neighbor because I'm tired of waiting. All right. Before you date, your relationship with God must be healthy. It's a simple statement. Seems very simplistic on the surface. We're going to unpack it a little bit tonight. Now, I want you to keep writing some stuff down and, and kind of helping yourself find some reminders, some things that are going to help you two years from now remember what we talked about. All right. So, top of the top of the notes, your relationship with God must be healthy. Students, for us tonight, as we look into God's word, this is going to come down to an issue of priorities for you. You've got to be pursuing God before you're ready to pursue somebody else, okay? You've got to be pursuing God before you're ready to pursue somebody else. Go to Matthew chapter 6 in your Bibles. 
I really want a music stand. Great, here's one. Still this one. Matthew chapter 6 in your Bible, beginning in verse 25. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. We're going to read a lot of it together, and then we're going to kind of go back and unpack. Matthew 6, 25 says this, Therefore I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body or what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. They don't gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, like flowers. Consider flowers, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. It's a beautiful passage for for a lot of reasons. And, And we can do a whole bunch of sermons just in that one passage. And it can be applied in a variety of different ways. But, but the beauty of that thing, that passage, I think, is, is just Jesus simply stating that God is a good God who loves perfectly and provides. He provides for his creation. So if we're people who believe that God has created all that we know and see, then we also believe that he upholds it by his hand. That I mean, this is the examples that Jesus is giving, that there's flowers that spring up and are clothed in this beauty that no one worked for, that God just kind of brings about. I walked out in my front yard this morning. Uh, Karen Harmon gave me some bulbs last year, and I planted some bulbs in the ground. I don't know how to do this. Just put bulbs in the ground. Last year, they didn't do anything. I forgot about them. This year, I walked out in my front yard this morning, and there's this huge stalk out of one of them. There's a giant flower on it. I did no work. <laughs> I literally like dug half a hole and dropped this like root ball looking thing in it, and then flowers popped out. That's almost magic, right? And so God, what Jesus is saying is, hey, God is, if God is, is clothing these flowers in these, this beautiful array, like, I look like I went to, like, I just escaped jail right now. Like, that's what I look like. He's like, hey, if I'm taking care of, of the lilies of the field, I, I'm going to take care of what you got on. Some about birds of the year. Some about, like, birds don't go to grocery stores. They also don't worry about where their next meal comes from. God's created, and he sustains, and he just takes care of it. And so there's this trust factor where we can trust the God of the universe who created us and has said he's going to give us what we need. He's going to give us what, he needs, what we need because he's a good God who loves and cares and provides. He's given us needs for basic things in life. He's created us to need some stuff. And what Jesus is promising is that God's going to take care of it. He may not take care of it in your timing and the way you want him to take care of it, but he's going to take care of us. He provides for his creation. So last week we talked about the fact that, that God created us for relationship. Right? We looked in Genesis, we looked at the way that God created man and said that it wasn't good for man to be alone, that he created, created Eve as this partner, and that, that was good, that union was good. So if God has created us for relationship, then 
In my mind, that falls under one of the needs that God has created inside of me. He's created a need for companionship. So if God is a good God who loves perfectly and provides for his creation, he's created a need in me for companionship, then God's going to take care of that. Does that mean that every one of you will get married? No. But it doesn't mean that God will take care of the needs that he's put inside of you. He's going to take care of that need for companionship. So God's a good God who loves and cares and provides. So, if God's not going to provide for in his own way, in his own timing, all of your needs, your basic need, and one of those needs is companionship, then the, the point of this, the thrust of that beginning part of that passage is that it's not worth worrying about. How many people do you know, maybe you are one of them, how many people do you know who absolutely obsess over their dating relationships? The prospect of, they're obsessing over the middle of it, like they disappear from your friend group when they start dating somebody, they're just completely consumed by that person for the two weeks that they're together, and then they won't go to the movie with them or don't text them back fast enough, and then it's over, and they obsess about it being over, and then a week later they obsess about who's going to fill this entire void in their life, and then there's a different guy named Tom or whatever, and then they're obsessing, you know, and you know what I'm saying? There's that like, chain of relationships because there's this obsession over having this, this need met. I think that companionship falls into the purview of this passage where, where Jesus is calling us not to worry about things that we can't really control and that God is going to take care of. I think that whole, that constant cycle of scheming and flirting and fighting is exhausting. And I would prefer you not to have to do that. That scheming, flirting, fighting cycle just... I don't think that's God's best for you. So Jesus calls us not to worry. He says that your Heavenly Father knows what you need. And he's going to take care of it. Then in verse 33, here's, here's the, the, the real crux of the passage. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, it doesn't say, it doesn't, it doesn't say that God's just going to take care of every need in your life. It says that when you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, everything else is going to work out. So there's two words in there, that kingdom and righteousness. I want you to understand what those two words mean. So if, if that's what you're supposed to be seeking first in life, seeking first God's kingdom, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you need to understand those terms. So the, the, the kingdom one, the kingdom of God, the, the fancy definition of the kingdom of God is anywhere where the rule and reign and dominion of God is submitted to. So when I submit to the rule and reign of God in my life, that's the kingdom of God. That's, what, that's, that's God's kingdom. That's where he, he's ruling in my life. So when, when God is ruling in our lives, that's the kingdom of God. And so when we're submitting to the rule of God, really what we're submitting to is his purpose and his will. That we're, we're letting go of our purpose and, and our will, and we're submitting to God's purpose and his will. We're replacing our, our goals, our aims, our ambitions with God's goals and aims and ambitions. So seeking first God's kingdom is, is seeking his purpose and his will in your life. So what is God's purpose and will in your life? Simply say, like, I mean, 
If you were to boil down everything that could be, the specifics of it, into some general terms, I think the first thing would be to love God with everything you've got. And to love others as yourselves. And then make disciples. That's, that's, those are the three, like, that's the, the biggest things we're called to do, right? We're so, if we're submitting to God's purpose and his will, his will for you is to love him deeply in response to what he's done. His will for your life is to love others really, really well for the purpose and sake of the gospel. His will for your life is to fulfill the Great Commission where you're going and, and sharing your faith with people and you're, you're bringing people into an understanding and a knowledge of that hope and joy you have in Jesus. And you're helping them along in that process to come to know him and grow closer to him. You're helping the people who are a few steps behind you to get closer to Jesus. You're about his purpose for the world, that, that your purpose for like making a lot of money when you're you know, 50 or something is, is not the purpose anymore. The purpose is you loving God, loving people, and bringing them into a love relationship with Jesus. So the first thing Jesus says is seek first his kingdom, which is all that stuff we just said. And then it goes on. It says not just his kingdom, but also his righteousness. So if, um, if you're not familiar with Christianity, then here, here's the thrust of it. Here's the bottom line, that your righteousness doesn't amount to very much. On your own, just apart from God, your, your righteousness doesn't amount to very much. Your um, goodness, your perfectness is not very strong because you've done a whole bunch of stuff that's not very good and perfect, and you've kind of jacked up your righteousness. So when, it, when Jesus says, Seek his righteousness. You're not seeking your own righteousness. You're seeking the righteousness that comes from God. This is where your righteousness comes from, students. Your righteousness comes from trusting in the cross. When Jesus sacrificed himself on that cross, like paying for, wiping away, forgiving all of your junk, he gave you his righteousness. When he makes you clean, that's, you're taking on his righteousness. It's not your righteousness. Yours is kind of junk. So you're seeking his righteousness. So practically what that means in your life is that you're about the gospel. Your life is centered on, focused on the gospel. So that made those two words mean a whole lot more, I think. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness means seeking first the purpose and the will of God in your life and living out the gospel consistently. That's a hard thing to do. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all this other stuff, all this other stuff is going to take care of itself. Psalm 1 talks about, us, talks about um, our lives being like a tree. Being like a tree planted by streams of water. Where we're, we're planted next to, like as, as close right up against God as possible. So we're drawing our nutrients and our, our strength from that living water that is Jesus. And what Psalm 1 says is that, that when we do that, then we bear fruit. If we're a tree planted out in a desert far, far away from God, we're not going to bear much fruit. But if we're a tree planted right next to that stream, then we're going to be able to flourish and grow and produce fruit. When we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else has a way of working itself out. We understand, I think, uh, intrinsically that um, there's some things that should be in place in our lives before we date people. We talk, I mean, just culture talks about high standards and low standards. Like he's got really low standards. And you know what that means. If, if, if somebody says of another person that they've got really low standards and the, per, and the kind of people they're willing to be in a relationship with, 
that's not a positive thing. We understand that there are standards, whether, we, whether they're based on our faith or not, there are standards. We intrinsically understand that you just don't date anything that moves. Like, there's some standards in place, however high or low yours may be. Tonight, I want you to, I want you to expand on whatever standards may have existed. For you, you may, not, you may have walked in not having very many standards, and that's fine. I didn't. I want you to have some standards. Now, we get, um, we get the exercise of, of kind of making some standards based on the kind of person that you're looking for, right? So girls, maybe on, on your standards list, uh, it's like guys who are you know, like tall and nice to their mom. I don't care, whatever, okay? And guys, maybe your standard is cute. That's it, all right? You got one thing at one bullet point, nothing else. Good. Well, it's a start, Okay. So I, we get that, that we put standards on the other, the other person. So here's what I want you to be able to do tonight. I want you to have an exercise where, where you place some standards on yourself. Because there's two people in this relationship, and you can have a standard for the most perfect person in the world sitting across from you. But there's got to be some standards inside of you to ensure that you are ready. For most of you in the room, I don't think, I don't think you've thought that through, whether I'm ready so if this passage is saying that for me to have, for me to find God's will and purpose in my life, then I've actually got to seek it. And if I'm seeking after God, then it's gonna, he's going to take care of the rest. I'm, my life's going to bear fruit. But if I get my priorities straight, if I'm seeking after God, then all my other priorities will straighten themselves out. Then that means that in your dating relationship, you've got to be a person who has a healthy relationship with God, who is seeking after God first, and then your dating stuff's going to work out along with everything else. So, practically, I understand that that first sentence I told you, that your relationship with God has to be healthy, practically understand that that doesn't mean anything to you. You have no idea how to measure that. Like, just think, in your head, just right now, can you figure out how to measure, like, quantify the healthiness of your relationship with God? Most of you just blanked, okay? So if I tell you that before you, before you date, you've got to ensure that your relationship with God is healthy, and you don't know how to measure that, then that's a problem, right? So in just a second, there's some sheets, and, and you're going to take three, four, five minutes, depending on how much time the clock says we've got. You're going to take some time, and you're going to have to struggle through that. So on your sheet, there's going to be some bullets, and it just has some little instructions for those of you who are completely zoned out right now and have no idea what I'm talking about. And so, and, and so it'll, it'll help you guys along. But there's some bullets, and basically what you're going to do on that sheet is try to figure out some ways to measure whether you're ready to date or not based on the healthiness of your relationship with God. So just for, to spark conversation in your head, okay? Here's some ideas. So you should probably write this down since you don't have paper with you yet, all right? These are some ideas to measure the healthiness of your relationship with God. So where I stand as a 30-year-old who's already married, if I'm looking back at 15-year-old Britain, things that I would want to see in myself before I was ready to date things I'd want to see in myself before I knew I was ready, I would want to make sure that I was consistently spending time with God. Consistently spending time with God. That I'm looking, I'm, I'm spending time in his word, I'm, I'm, I'm conversing with God regularly in prayer. I'd want to make sure that I was actively engaged in my church. I'd want to make sure that my relationship with God was vibrant. 
just felt healthy, you know? Sometimes it's just kind of a feeling. That we're, we're just kind of, we just know, we just feel that we're not where we need to be. I would want, I would want to, I would want to evaluate whether I was really living the gospel or if I was living for myself. I'd want to see if I was living out the fruits of the Spirit. If you don't know what that is, you can Google that later. I don't have time to read it to you. I'd want to make sure that I did not feel distant from God. Sometimes in you have points in life where you just feel distant from God. I'd want to make sure that I didn't feel distant from God before I started dating somebody. There's just some off the top of my head. Those may not be yours, but I want you to have some, some metrics, some measurables in your life. Say, okay, that person's kind of cute. That might be something I, I want to kind of pursue here. I need, to, I need to check and see if, if my relationship with God is where it needs to be because I'm supposed to be seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and then everything else will line up. So let's, let's check and see if am I really seeking first his kingdom and righteousness or am I just doing this because I want to?